Welcome to another episode of Adding Context, a podcast of compelling conversations centered on advancing and enhancing the human experience. I am your host, Michael Bollins. Thanks for joining another episode of Adding Context. Today I have Dustin Miller, Poly Innovator. Dustin, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and I guess elaborate on your name a little bit. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I've been working on my personal brand for a while here, Michael, and it's interesting because I wanted to create a foundation for all the future careers that I wanted to have. I know that we're as a species, we're not just one type of person. We don't just do one thing our entire life. Even if someone is a specialist, their career is going to change as they either move up in the company or do different things. And so I really embody this polymathic mindset. And this idea of a poly innovator is becoming a polymath of innovation. So working in multiple different fields and innovating them as much as possible, particularly exercise, which is my background, and in the future, smart city development. And and right now I've been working on education. So a lot of different aspects. Nice. I I agree with that. I think that, and me being who I am and the life experiences I've had, um, you know, people ask, well, what do you do? What, are you, what have you done? And I kind of laugh because there's so much, a lot, <laughs> there's yeah. a lot. I mean, and, and I've had legitimate career time in things. Uh, I was a law enforcement officer for a while. I've, you know, I did heating and air conditioning before that. You know, so I agree that people need to have a number of skills um, and not just focus on one thing. Mm-hmm. I, I saw what you were doing. I, I really liked some of the ideas that you had uh, put up on your website. Thank you. So why don't you, I guess, get a little, can we get a little more idea about who you are and, and what kind of brought you to where you are? Yeah. The story I often say is the fact that when I was a kid, I would actually ask my grandma or my mother for office supplies for my birthday because I wanted to be a businessman. And then as I got a little bit older, I'd tell people I wanted to be a CEO. And this idea of a CEO, I think I was attracted to it because I wanted to be able to make a change. And kind of like what you're doing here too is top, and bringing people together and uniting people. And so as a teenager, I would used to say, become a CEO of an international company driven to innovate technology and ideology. And that was a whole little pitch because I was told you have to have a pitch. I had that little pitch in my head as a 17-year-old kind of coming out of my mouth. And that inspired me to create what I call the United Living Construct, a company that I wanted to pursue. And I still might, but I ended up realizing that I wasn't good enough to really pursue it because it was a hub of innovation for people to come together, all these innovators and polymaths to come together. And I realized, okay, I need to become better in order to really create this. And so I pivoted from the ULC to Poly Innovator, and I used this as an opportunity to document my own self-education through what I call this DIY, or now I call it the modular degree. So it's a do-it-yourself kind of system where you can pursue any kind of educational resource online in this organized manner. And so that's what's been really leading this first phase of Poly Innovator is creating this modular education platform through the modular degree and helping people with their education and teaching them that you can do a lot online. I think that we need to focus on education and what you've done and what you're looking to do is to, to innovate how we learn. Me being a product of an entirely online education for my college degree was was learning experience. I went for a computer degree. So clearly I'm learning classes and taking classes that are eight weeks long. And Mm -hmm. by the time I'm getting done with something, it's pretty much, you know, obsolete, especially in the IT field. So I like the idea that you have of of the module degree and and self-educating. 
the modular aspect is interesting as well because not only with fields like IT or programming or digital marketing that are changing every month, every year, every decade, it's interesting too the fact that our education is not so much. It takes almost a couple of years for the accreditation system to actually change anything in colleges, let alone apply that college education to the students. So by the time it gets to the students, it's almost three years old. It's right. often not effective at that point. Right, and I think we see that with the differences and ideologies and thought processes and what I think is clear educational differences in what's being taught in schools, in high schools throughout the country. And, you know, the, the varying ideas of what should be taught in high school is one thing in one state, but it's different in another state. Um, I would like to see a more universal, uh, a more balanced curriculum, but, you know, also being the person I am in, in my thoughts and politics it's hard to kind of force all states to understand what is needed. Like I'm a big believer that we need civics. Civics is a big thing that we need to kind of reintroduce into our curriculums throughout the country. And I think that, you know, look at the most recent election and, and how sideways things have gone and, and the beliefs that people have, the, you know, even our elect officials are, are misspeaking about certain aspects of the government, and how they function. So Pushing for ability, people to give the idea and allow for them to see that there are other options other than what's typically taught to them and how it's taught to them. The platform that you're clearly trying to change, which is, I, I like, I really love the idea. Um, showing people that there's other options. You know, my mm-hmm. kids, I keep on telling, once you get out of high school, you've kind of got a couple options. You either go right to work, you find a way to go to college and figure out what you want to do there, or you go in the military. And that's kind of... Well, the options that were presented to me when I was coming out of high school. Um, of course, I also came out around the time when there was the big push that you have to go to college. And I think that that yeah. was, I think, a bad idea. Yeah. I would say, too, there's the whole societal norm that you have to get a degree, you have to get a, a full-time job. But the real interesting thing is, is that I don't think those are the only options. And I was talking with Ali Abdal, uh, a YouTuber, and he was talking about this concept of the third door. And he, he did a video on it, and I was talking to him about it. And it's the idea of like, okay, if you're approaching the bar, you have the main way, the long queue, of the with people waiting in line. That's the most, most people do. Or you have the billionaires and the people who are famous who can just go straight in. But then there's also the third door. There's a third option where let's say you go to alley around back, and the door of the uh, – uh, what you call it? The door of the kitchen is opened up, and you can kind of sneak in, make friends with the chef, and then get into the bar that way. And it's interesting how that concept applies to almost everything. You have to be an opportunist. You have to keep your eyes out for those opportunities. But you don't have to go to college to understand yourself. And in fact, nowadays, it's getting too expensive to just use it as an experimentation aspect. And the networking aspect is what always people talk about. Hey, you're networking. It's a good experience. You're going to meet people there. Well, who are you meeting? Your professor? People who are the same level as you, peers. Peers aren't going to really help you too much down the line unless you have really well-connected peers. Right. But for the most part, you're meeting people who aren't going to push you forward. You're not going to improve too much from that. I, I actually really like that analogy, it's, it's, and it's true. Um, you know, there are people who just seem to, no matter where they go, they find the opportunity and they, are, they fall into it, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for others, they need to work a lot harder. But I do agree that we need to kind of get out of that. There's only two paths to the to your future when you get out of, out of high school. Um, and I'm a big proponent of self-educating. 
I've done a lot of reading on my own on varying topics and the, some of the most successful people have yeah. been self-educated. And, and that's one of the things, you know, my mother-in-law, um, she rose pretty highly in, in a very large company, very well-known company without having, if I recall correctly, I don't recall her having a college degree. She just kind of started at the bottom and, and she really knew her shit. She was a phenomenal person. She was able to communicate. She was clearly able to lead people. And she got people to do what they needed to do. And she was a very successful woman. Um, but she didn't have a college degree. Same thing with my father-in-law. You know, he ends up, ended up essentially being the you know vice president, something, you know, CEO of a large company. And again, he didn't have the traditional route of go out of high school, go to college, and then go to a job. It's he found something. It kind of fell into his lap and he just kept on educating and expanding himself and you know he rose to a pretty high position yeah. without a college degree so it's it can be done yeah well and they often the saying often goes where it's the people who get the a's work for the people who get the c's right. when it comes to grades yeah so. I, I was never and that's the other thing is you know i i wasn't a great student um i was a pretty horrific student in high school and, and school um but i noticed that when i was able to really dictate what I wanted to learn and I was a little more responsible with or yeah, more responsible for paying for it and things like that. There was a little more personal investment. And I think when mm-hmm. you allow people the room to breathe and really explore the ideas is that, that really sit with them or kind of are starting to mold them, interest them at least, you're going to get that better return on investment. For sure. Um, so your website, um, the Omni Context, uh, sorry, Omni Content Creator, mm-hmm. how many other facets to that? I mean, right now you're focusing on, on education, which is clearly a, a big thing that you're pushing for. What, what other aspects of that are, is there to that? So it's interesting. The Omni Content is the type of content I'm creating. It's not necessarily the face it's more about what is coming out so the only content idea is taking the idea of content repurposing so you're making a, a po- podcast right now you could record a video and have a video that way and you could just transcribe it and make a blog post that way and that's kind of the common thing that people do but when i started creating content for the united living construct way back when i started with blogging it took me years before I actually got around to making podcasts and now polycasts in my case, and then videos eventually after that. So I took that whole kind of concept and started making a blog post. I turned that into a slideshow. I turned that into a video. Then I turned that, cut the audio out, make it into a polycast. And so I'm able to get tons of different pieces of content from one episode. Got it. And those co- the topics on the Omni content, because it's based off this idea of being omni-channel, being everywhere. Right. But also Omni means all, so I can talk about anything, basically. I don't define myself just to one niche. niche. Right. And that's, that's you know, the premise of my podcast is trying to be out there and, and get people from all different fields and expertises to, to share mm-hmm. their, their knowledge with people and engage with people on a you know, personal level as well, just to show that we're more alike than we are different. Yeah. I noticed that your Omnicast or your polycasts are varying in length. You, know, you have a few that are you know, a few minutes long, some that are middle of the road, half hour-ish, and then you have other, your more interviews that are longer form like mine where they're closer to the hour and so. Um, mm-hmm. Have you had any, aside from you know, the YouTube that 
that you mentioned. Any other really interesting uh, interviews you had that kind of, I guess, I don't want to say surprised you, but, you know, this was the most engaging that you've had? So before I answer that question, I just wanted to touch on the links. I've noticed that there's various different shows that focus on just one length. And when I looked at the data, the ideal podcast link from what I've been told is 22 minutes. And so I was like, okay, that's a good thing to kind of aim for. But I had started out doing short form with the ULC podcast. And then when I started making polycasts, they were medium sized. And then I also around that time also made my micro polycast on a separate platform. Eventually I brought that into the fold and those are the short form three to nine minute episodes that you might've saw. And then the Omni content and polycast or the medium form and then interviews, like you said, are the long form. Just wanted to explain that for people checking it out because I wanted to touch on everybody's preference. So if someone wants to come in just for a few minutes and check in, fine. They want to stay with me for an hour or two, which my interviews sometimes go for two hours. That's fine too. And as for interesting guests, all of them have really made a big difference, actually, I would say, because I ask a question to everyone, what is a polymath to you? And even if they had only heard that term the day of or the day before or they'd known it most of their life, the answers they give gives a unique perspective. And I'm going to be able, I'm actually going to take all those answers and put them together in their own episode, too, and see how all these answers come together and what people think of. So it's just kind of everyone. Do you uh, tend to notice that people actually know what polymath is? Yeah. <laughs> um, it's interesting because yes and no. When I reach out to people, they often are already multi multidisciplinary. So they're either entrepreneurs who call, consider themselves jacks all trades, or they're people. I literally had the PhD researcher who studied polymathy, who actually did her dissertation on polymathy on the show. And so it's interesting how she literally based her whole PhD around polymathy. And there's other people who heard it the day of. Right. But. I find that people generally can understand the concept once they hear it. Right. Yeah. It's, I, I wasn't familiar with the term until actually um, I heard it in a lyric of Hamilton hmm. um, yeah. referring to Hamilton. Um, and I looked up, I'm like, you know, that, that actually kind of fits me. <laughs> so I, I kind of like using the term. Um, I've always referred to myself as a bit of a jack of all trades because mm-hmm. of the wealth of experience I was fortunate enough to have growing up and, you know, through my adult life. Um, so I want to kind of jump back to your academy. Um, you mentioned in on the one part of the page about experience and skill level kind of not being the same. And I read that and it immediately popped a tweet that I saw. I think it was back uh, I think it was over the summer this year where a guy was talking about not being able to apply for a job um, because the employer was asking for four plus years of a specific skill set. And he's like, well, I can't apply for it because I only have a year and a half Mm -hmm. of something that I created. So this is the guy that created it. And employers are asking for far more experience than what could possibly be there. So have you seen a trend, um, where employers are kind of making it almost impossible for, entry level to really be entry level anymore. I mean, I would think that was part of what you were talking about. You know, entry level is not really entry level anymore. It's interesting. Um, I'm trying to remember where you might've seen that on the site so I can get the context, but the Poly Innovator Academy is just simply, it's separate from the education platforms. It's just the courses that I want to create that I want to talk about. But the 
aspect behind skill level, it's one of those things where it is interesting how there's there was literally a situation where like someone created a specific skill uh, or like programming language and they went to apply for it and then they don't have enough years because it hasn't been out for that long. Right. And yes, there is a trend going on with many entry level quote unquote. Uh, jobs asking for these years of experience when it's just not possible to have that many years, even if there has been a long time. Even uh, Java, which has been around for a long time, it's not always possible to have five years of experience for an entry-level position. And honestly, it's usually not about what you know, it's who you know. And so it's not about skills. It's more about how you can apply yourself to that job. There's actually a good resource called Crash.co crash.co, where you can actually pitch yourself to companies rather than apply to them. You can make a little video showing the skill that you know and actually contextualize it for that company. Interesting. And it's a much more effective way of just saying, hey, I don't I don't want to apply to this versus, hey, I can actually do this. Here's a video to prove it. Yeah. I think that we need to innovate how people apply for jobs. I mean, typically it's you send in a resume, a cover, cover letter, you come in for an interview you get past one interview, you go to another one, you get past that one, you go to another one. It's, and it's this kind of very stagnant, slow process. Mm-hmm. And I think you, especially given how dynamic some people are, you know, people learn for me, I learn much better with my hands than I do reading a book. Um, and that's kind of how I've always been. And I've taught as an instructor for first aid. Um, I've seen people who, can absolutely recite a 700-page book cover to cover, but they can't practically apply what they know. And then Mm -hmm. I have other kids and people that I've seen that struggle to kind of get through the modules in classroom setting, but excel applying it, you know. Mm -hmm. So do you see your platform and, and the way you're trying to innovate the education system to, I guess, cater to those types of people? What I want to see is more of the choice. So I can't necessarily aim for the kinesthetic learners, the people who want to do it with their hands and visually. I do want to try to. So, for example, my Omni content, I make it because some people want to listen. Some people are more of a reader. Some people are more visual. So they want to watch it or look at the slideshow. That's one reason motivation is behind that. When it comes to the education platform, it's really more down to choice so that people can get into a state of flow. When you're focused on something, when you're actually engaged and want to learn it, nothing's going to stop you from doing it except for you. And so if there's a module that's blocking you to progress, a quiz that's blocking you to progress, well, that's something that's logistical that's keeping you from actually learning more versus, hey, if I just apply this more in a project sense, which I know capstones have been a big thing with Coursera and Udacity and stuff like that because it's more applicable. So you actually can get your hands on something. Right even if it is typing, so to speak. <laughs> but um, yes, I think that there's a matter of this platform trying to cater to people who have different values. So one of my motivations is polymaths. People like us who are multidisciplinary, most schools keep us in a linear format, whereas this one, I hope that can be a much more polymathic education. Yeah, you, you mentioned the term flow state or you know, a workflow. Um, I've heard... You know, I listen to a lot of different podcasts and, and the idea and the notion of mindfulness and, and flow state in making it more conducive for people to learn things when they're in that groove, so to speak. Um, so I, I like that idea. I think flow state is a, is a big thing that more people might need to educate themselves on to see how they can better navigate their educational path. Yeah. Um, the... 
push for the, for this educational platform that you're you're doing is is it because you're disenfranchised from things, or just because you you like to innovate and you're you're always looking for the next way to to change things up? Both. <laughs> so I I decided I I did do a stint at college because I managed to get an option to do it for free and it was a new college for about a year, but it was too slow for me so I ended up having to leave. But beyond that, I decided not to go to college and this is because I could not find in the entire world. I looked at almost like over hundred two hundred basically universities around the world for a degree that would suit me. And I saw some that I could maybe get dual degrees that would somewhat satisfy my craving, but I really wanted to get a degree in smart city development, which at the time there was none. There's even now only like one or two and they're master degrees. So I can't even technically take them without having a bachelor's. And it's interesting because I couldn't find something that suited me. So I just created my own. Right. And most people just don't think like that. And so I was like, okay, well maybe I can document my journey and that'll help me prove my knowledge. And that's what I started the YouTube channel around too. But over time I realized what's more important than me documenting is just sharing this tool and this idea with other people. And right now I still haven't made enough of a minimum viable product for people to use. And so soon, once I get the projects I'm working on now finished, I'm going to be working on templates for people to take for their own modular degree. Because at this point, self-curated, but I hope that down the line, AI and mentors could help guide people as well. You mentioned um, being taught linearly Mm -hmm. um, in school. You you kind of have an idea of what you're going to be learning from kindergarten through your senior high school. And I agree that degrees are, are just often cookie cutter and they don't really fit to what people really want to do with their lives. And as your own testament, you know, you, you had a hard time finding something that really fit the avenue that you wanted to go down. So you made your own. What I think. How this is probably going to be a hard thing for you to do. And are you trying to make pathways in with, you know, educational organizations or the government to try and say, Hey, this is the way we should be thinking, or at least transitioning to think because the old way doesn't necessarily work for everybody. I think that could be a later phase. And you kind of also alluded to high school, which the whole K through 12 aspect. I don't know how I'm going to approach that just yet either. I had on a person on my show, Aaron Smith, he's a PhD that talks about, he wrote a book called blank check. And he asked like, if you had a blank check, for changing how education is done. What would you do? And this is what I'm trying to do for my blank check, where I would create a platform where people can approach learning in their own interests. And I want to see it almost as a communal thing. So if, if you make a modular degree around programming that you wanted to learn, or computer science, and I make one around carpentry, and you want to learn how to build a house, well, you can take my modular degree that I made, if I make it public, of course, and then you could pursue it. Well, if there's a course in there that you don't want to take, you can take that out and apply it to you. It's almost like GitHub where you're forking my modular degree into your own pathway. (laughs) And so that's one thing I want to see for more adults because at this point it's who I'm catering to, adults of any age, but adults for pursuing lifelong learning. So if you want to just take the modular degree your entire life, sure. If you want to approach it in a very simple fashion, like a degree sense, because you want to learn how to get this job or something like that, cool. If you want to pivot careers because you're a CEO and now you're done with this and you want to go learn how to garden in a temple across the world (laughs) sure right whatever your goal is applying that to an actual pathway versus just kind of going aimlessly on youtube got it um i think one of the ideas that might pop up or somebody might question as well if you allow this for one person everybody's going to want to do it and 
you know, how do you guarantee that somebody's really being proficient in something or, or how do you market it? Um, colleges typically go with that. Here's your curriculum. Uh, deal with it. When you're done with it, we'll give you a piece of paper that says that you know the stuff that you're supposed to know. But, you know, real world is vastly different than what you're learning well, in the book. I would say accreditations, I scoff at it a little bit because, like I said earlier, it's usually pretty – let's say inefficient at getting the new information in there. Right. But beyond that, it is a good way of saying, Hey, I know this stuff. And so that's one facet of like personal branding or documentation or creating content. If you can create content around the stuff you've learned, well, boom, you've proved that you know it. And also too, I don't necessarily see this as like a particular college. It's more of a tool. Okay. It's more of a, like a platform as a service, so to speak. So it would can ideally connect to like Coursera or TEDx or something like that and bring in the content that way. And so maybe you go to that platform for like watching Coursera modules if that's what you choose to. And I, I do intend on creating content on the platform itself from me or from other creators too. It. So it's not just going to be external. It will be internal as well. In that case... I'll have to find some way to accredit, be accredited. But externally, it's other platforms that are going to prove it. And I don't necessarily think accreditation is really as important as actually just proving it to people versus just saying have a piece of paper. Right. I'm not sure if, if innovation is the right word. It sounds more like revolutionizing education might be a better yeah. a better fit for it. Um, I think I've said that in some places on the site too. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it is. And, and I'm a big fan and a big proponent of reforms. There, there's a lot of reforms throughout our, throughout our society that I think are sorely needed, um, education being one of them. But you know, I'm sure there's people that are much bigger brains and a much better understanding of how to and which reforms to that should be implemented. Um, what other things would you like to work on to in, innovate aside from education? That's an interesting question. I was thinking that I don't have as much experience in life at this point. I'm only 25. I have plenty of years ahead of me to learn and do more things. And like I said, the degree I wanted is to work in smart city development. And what that means is being the project manager of sorts for a new city or a reform city, I guess you could say, taking some kind of um, Chicago and making it more modernized. If you look at Detroit Become Human, which is a PlayStation game, they literally embody the smart city in that game because it's like 2040 in the timeline and so that's an idea of just taking an old city and making it new or some people like dubai are making completely new, new cities, cities in that region right yeah new cities altogether and so regardless of which path you take i want to be the kind of person who's actually organizing all that and bringing together orchestrating all these different people i don't need to be the person who knows the uh electric voltage of a solar panel i just need to know how solar panels work and getting the concept of applying it to a building and getting the entire city to run off of it something like that i need to see it as a macro view that's what i think i would suit well as so i'm hoping that i can innovate that as well as exercise my background is in exercise i've taught swimming for nearly a decade i've taught personal training for a few years and i've also taught water aerobics for half a decade and so my experience of exercise has been so deep that i wanted to share my knowledge and also share my approach to a polymathic education or polymathic exercise if you will so part of the the fitness end of what you teach i'm guessing there's dietary stuff where did you i guess find your education that I was it was that part of the classes that you took in college or is that more of your self-education it's been all self-education the classes I took in college were just clear communication critical thinking stuff like that which are useful but um 
I started doing this way before I was even age uh, to go into college. I started yeah. exercising back when I was 15 and learning all the ins and outs of the dietary constrictions as well as not constrictions, dietary nutrition, as well as making sure to exercise. There's a certain aspect behind exercise where you have to change things up. And most people don't seem to realize that you have to keep changing in right. order to keep stimulating the muscles. Right. Uh, any yeah. reason that got you into that? Was it a sport or anything that you were involved with? Or just no. Working I out? actually was really bad at sports. <laughs> I, In fact, I was kind of squatty. My little sister showed me a picture the other day of when I was a teenager, when around the time she was a baby, actually, and I was scrawny. Like, I had skinny arms, and now that I'm older, I have much more muscle because <laughs> I was I didn't like being that person anymore. I wanted to change. Right. And it was funny. A guy that knew me in ninth grade, he saw me at my work, and, like, we talked again for the first time in years, and he's like, he texted one of our old friends that I knew because they used to make fun of me in a way. They used to tease me, but they were still friends. Right. And... um he was like, man, you know that kid that we used to like make fun of and tease? Like, uh, yeah, Dustin, he uh, is ripped now. <laughs> it was, and it was funny just because I've made a big change in that regard, and I also approach it in a unique way. So I wanted to share that with the world. Yeah, I think that my small amount of knowledge when it comes to fitness, you know, physiology, and all that other fun stuff, that's the one thing I do know is that you know, you, you, you're going to hit a plateau at some point. And the only way to break over that plateau is to change things up. So um, I'm a big fan of, of sports. I wrestled in school. I played football in high school. Um, we're, I currently coach a middle school team, uh, a wrestling team, and we are trying to get the kids to see that, you know, wrestling shouldn't be the only thing you're doing. Um, and I think that society kind of, at least over the last five, ten years, I've noticed that a lot of parents kind of, push your kids down one sport and they specialize in that one sport. And I've been reading that some kids are actually at very young ages, mid teens are having these pretty horrendous injuries because of the overuse, because it's, you know, pitchers just constantly pitching, pitching, pitching. Whereas when I was growing up, you know, kids did, you know, we played football and we did wrestling in the winter and then they did like spring track, but they were always doing something every year as opposed to doing, baseball year-round or soccer year-round. Well, and it's interesting, too, because it's the whole idea of specialization. And the problem is that actually doesn't actually help you when it comes to learning a particular thing. Sure, they say 10,000 hours, which has actually technically been debunked. It's, it's more about deliberate practice rather than 10,000 hours of practice. And a book uh, by David Espin, Range, he talks about how Roger Federer, who's like a world-famous tennis player, he actually did like 30 different sports growing up. Like he did from wrestling to golf and all kinds of different things. And it was actually his diversity, his jack of all tradesness that actually led him to be an expert at what the sport he ended up choosing. And the real interesting part is it's about interest. Once again, what are you interested in doing? And when people get forced into just one instrument, for example, for learning music or one sport or one kind of hobby, they don't get to experiment seeing like, well, maybe I like this one more. And it's the ones that try and dabble that actually find the ones they really enjoy that are the ones that actually are much more successful at becoming experts in their fields. Yeah, That's kind of what happened with my kid is he played football for a few years and then he tried hockey and fell in love with hockey and he put football aside and mm -hmm. went to uh, hockey and then he wrestled and now he enjoys, so he, he enjoys doing a lot of different things just to remain, remain active. And I, and I, I agree with that. I, I liked it. I didn't know that about Federer. Um, you know, clearly he's a world-class <laughs> tennis player, but I, I didn't realize he had done so much in, as a kid. And that's, I think, 
what we need to be pushing our kids to do is, is to experience life. And that's what I try and do with my own kids is, is show them life isn't, you know, a straight path. It's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of forks in the road and there's a lot of hills and there's a lot of valleys and, you know, there's a lot of good and a lot of bad. So you know, for me, getting them to experience life as much as they can uh, is, is huge for me. Um, because it, I think it's going to make them more well-rounded when they get older. Any sports that you do follow? Not really. I mean, as a swim instructor, I that's the only sport I actually was decently good at when I was younger. I became a lifeguard when I was two weeks before my 17th birthday. And I had to learn how to swim. So the year before, I had taken swimming for fitness in my high school and got pretty good at it. And then I started teaching swim lessons soon after I became a lifeguard. And because I was teaching it, I was able to learn it much quicker. And I learned from even college students who were in town or near me or whatnot because I live around colleges. So I got people who were better than me and people who I was teaching. So I got both sides of the learning spectrum. I was teaching. I was also concreting my knowledge that way. But I was also learning new knowledge, new techniques from people who were better than me. And so I learned swimming to an expert level degree. And so I've been able to follow that field, but I don't really have much interest in other sports. Got it. I think that's, that's what everybody should be doing. Even when they are working in their quote unquote field of expertise to educate. And I believe Einstein said the, the only way to truly show understanding of something is to be able to break it down to its most basic form and, and be able to explain it to a kid. Yes, it actually wasn't Einstein. It's often misquoted to him. It's more of the fi- of Richard Feynman's usually okay. the person that actually talks about it because it's a Feynman technique of being able to break things down. Got it. And that's 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 the level of understanding that I I aspire to to grasp when mm-hmm. I'm learning something is I want to be able to to break it down. To, to one, it makes it easier for me to understand and digest in small bits, mm-hmm. um, and I think that makes it easier for everybody else too. But for people who are who are teaching and, and working and, and looked at leaders in a specific field or specialty, I think some people get complacent. They get to a specific spot and it's like, I know everything I need to know and I can I can teach it, but then they kind of get stuck in that rut. And yeah. when people like you come in through and innovate things, it's like, oh, well, I, I never thought of doing it that way. Like the old saying goes, you don't know what you don't know. And the the Feynman techniques, like you're saying, breaking it down to smaller and smaller chunks and explaining it more and more simply. And you don't have to even have another person there. You can do it in a notebook. And that's often what the technique's about is trying to find what you don't know by doing that technique. And if you can't explain the next stage down more simply, well, then that's a breaking point. Okay, you don't understand that part of the concept well enough yet. I, I definitely have to go through and, and look at his, his theories because it's it's definitely uh, correcting like, myself. Yeah, I love the guy. <laughs> Um, so, so back to the educational aspect of it, um, you were referring to, uh, there was part of a conversation you had, or at least not a conversation, but there was something you mentioned on your website, one of your little uh, shorter episodes about self-education versus college, mm. um, you know, pushing for the idea of self-education and understanding everybody's process for learning is a little different. How do you think you might be able to accommodate such a variety of, I guess, student student bodies? 
I mean, the Omnicontent's a perfect example. Make a course that's basically like an Omnicontent. Have different facets of learning. There's tools like SpeechKid.io that can take a blog post and make it into an audio article so you can listen to it instead. So that way people who are literally blind and can't read or people who prefer hearing it versus seeing it can do it that way or make a video on it as well. And so there's there's plenty of ways of using tools to do it, let alone just doing it manually, talking into a mic and recording your blog post or uh, article on education. And so... I think that just being contextual to what the person needs and finding that there's multiple different content types as well as having a multifaceted course. And so not just having a linear modality, but also branching it out into like a skill tree. Got it. Part of your platform is about Omni marketing. Can you elaborate as to exactly what that is or elaborate a little more what it is? Yeah. So omni-channel marketing is the aspect of being like omnipresent in a way. So you're actually on multiple different platforms. You're not just focusing on just one thing, because if you look at Coke, for example, they're going to be on every single platform. Now, sure, they have teams to do that and they're able to have a specialist for each platform or they ideally should. But um, I think Coke, for example, actually uses Gary Vee, who I'm not sure if you know him or not, but he's a content creator that's very prolific in the entrepreneur space when it comes to establishing gratitude and being overall just confident in yourself and actually putting content out there and something he said on one of his keynotes really struck with me is creating you should be creating 100 pieces of content a day if you want to be known if you want to be successful in the modern sense creating content in various different formats is a very important aspect to branding and overall marketing and so omnichannel is a great way of doing that because you're going to be on multiple different platforms you take a piece of content and break it down to different chunks to those platforms got it um since you brought that up about um, creators and, and people that really use the social media platforms, um, I, I read a stat the other day, and, and I'm, I know I'm going to butcher it, but it's something about 22% of the population uses social media, hmm. but a much larger uh, consume it. What, um, what are your thoughts on social media in and of itself, I guess, as do you believe that it's as good as it's being projected to be for society or do you kind of like my understanding is I, I see the point to it and it, it can be good. It can be used in good ways, but I think some people look at some of these uh, uh, content creators and kind of made them famous for not exactly the most best reasons. Like they, they follow people because it's, they, they think being popular is the most important aspect of being a human as opposed to being a decent human. So do you think that social media like Twitter and, and Facebook and things like that have kind of deteriorated what it is for interpersonal communication? Something Gary Vee says is that Gary Vee, uh, not Gary Vee, social media is not changing us. It's exposing us. It's yeah. just changing how we understand each other more. And it's not changing us particularly. Like there's, there's people like, um, what's his name? Uh, Logan Paul and his brother and so many other creators who are just, assholes in a way <laughs> but there's also creators like Gary Vee like you like me who are actually trying to do positive things with content right. and even it's just a matter of communication it's not changing anything it's just making things easier for the most part and if you see anything negative on there well someone created that someone did something about that then just report it just say dislike or find ways to decentralize it. So I think there is going to be change in the future when it comes to decentralization and blockchain there's already platforms out there now that are alternatives to ones we already use. There's DTube, which is an alternative to YouTube. 
there's uh, Hive, which is an alternative to Reddit and Medium. There is so many other platforms, Gab and Mastodon, which is an alternative to Twitter. Twitter is even talking about becoming decentralized. And what that means is, is that no longer is just one central organization controlling it all, which can control what people see right. versus having an entire crowd, which when you democratize it that way, I think that's going to be a big change in a positive route of like, hey, this content's really bad. It's it's racist. It's stupid. It's Or it's being very harmful. It's a bad video, whatever. Downvote it, and it gets pushed down eventually it'll stop being shown at all and i think that when it comes to how people are reacting like you said 22 people 22 percent of people are um I think it's creating versus, yeah. yeah they're they're like active users are creating they're actually doing the other aspect of the platform whereas most people are consuming that's what we are already doing anyways radio and tv have been doing it for basically a century now right. it's just a different platform a different channel of that the channels of today. We used to have NBC and Fox and all these different channels in the past 20 years. Well, now it's Instagram, it's Snapchat, it's and that's another Gary Vee quote that I'm stealing from him there. It's, it's those are the channels of the new day. It's not that they're changing anything. There's we've changed what we looked at. I like that perspective. It's it's not any way that I would have. I think initially, I don't think that was a conclusion I would have come to on my own. So I appreciate that insight, and I I, I agree with that. I, I think that. And I accept it. I, you know, I kind of look back at my kids and the way they consume some of the the YouTubers and are just absolutely obsessed with the content they're putting out. For me, being you know an old forty something year old dad, it's like this just doesn't make sense to me. But somebody put it in a context to me that the same way that I followed a specific athlete growing up, that's what these kids are doing. These are the yeah. athletes for these kids. You know, they're playing the games. They're they're really good at it, and they're, the kids are learning how to be good at the games by watching these videos. So, again, part of my content, uh, the reason why I started my podcast was to, to put things of different perspectives out there so everybody can learn from everybody else. And thankfully, somebody pointed that out to me because I, I always sat back going, I, I, don't, I don't get it. It just, it just didn't sit with you me. You do get it, though. That's what the yeah. whole point of you creating the show is. You actually do get it. You wanted to create content, which on a channel of podcasting, and you wanted to be that creator. You, you decided to stop consuming and start creating because you wanted to change what people saw. And that's what you did. I you was, took action. Yeah, I was referring to not getting the, the lust, so to speak, or the, the drive oh, of, yeah. of consuming all these the various YouTubes, you know, over Minecraft or whatever the game was. And I, just, I would sit back and scratch my head. And my kids are just ravenous over, oh, a new video. we got to watch the video. I'm like, I, I didn't get it. And then, like I said, somebody pointed out, it's the same ideology of being an a follower or a fan of a specific uh, sport. Yeah. So. Or think of a Saturday morning cartoons when you were a kid, waking up on Saturdays to watch a new Pokemon or something like that. Uh, Pokemon wasn't one of the ones I watched. I watched like the old yeah. Scooby-Doo and stuff like that. <laughs> what framed you to, or, or framed your, your thought process? I mean, clearly you started out at, at a very early age and knowing exactly what you wanted. Um, a lot of kids don't necessarily have that. Any influences as a kid to kind of pop that in your head? I will say, yeah, I have been lucky to know what I wanted to do, but obviously it's changed too. And I think a lot of people seem to forget that you don't have to know 100%. You just have to go. I was literally thinking about this on my ride home today. You don't have to know. You just have to go try stuff. Right. And that's what they always say, like, go experiment in college. College is a good way to do it, but sometimes you just uh, – Gary Vee actually talks about find the creator that you want to work for, like a CEO that you want to work for, and, like, work for him for free. 
And that's almost like the new internship. Internships was the old way of doing things right. where you like go work for a company for free so you can understand what that whole ecosystem is like. Well, go work for someone that you really like and learn how that industry works. And even if you're doing it for free, not making any money from it, that's fine. Go work a second job, pay your bills that way and treat that as your education and treat it as like it's basically like, hey, this is how I'm going to learn to do it. And if you do that with enough people or do it enough times, I've worked for over half a dozen different employers and I've done two different job, two dozen different jobs over my 10 years of employment or actually eight years of employment <laughs> at this point. And it's interesting how I was able to learn from many different facets of work, from retail to uh, service to any kind of aspect behind running a company, so to speak. And I think that it's interesting how just experimenting and trying new things is the real key factor. If you want to find your ikigai, we have to find the intersection of what are you good at, what do you enjoy doing, what can you make money off of, and what does the world need? I I think that's a, a good point. I, I, but I think part of the problem is things are so, even before the world shifted sideways earlier this year, mm-hmm. I think people struggle to find the time I started as a volunteer EMT when I was 15, and at that time, and for the probably the first five or six years of that my time at the squad, you know, we had a large membership, and it was you know people that worked their day job, they'd come in, they'd ride their ship the night, and they'd go back to work the, you know, the day. Nowadays, volunteerism is is, and I have no basis on this; it's just my own guess on, on what I've seen, but the people don't volunteer as much as they used to. I understand why it's, you know, cost of living is so much higher. It, it's harder to make a living, so to speak, and, and, you know, survive, let alone expand yourself. So mm-hmm. uh, what suggestions or, or advice would you give to people to open their eyes up a little bit? And if they feel like they're in that rut, how do you think that they could best start kind of climbing out of that hole and, and looking for something else or I have two answers there. Yeah, I have two answers there. First off, Gary V talks about the fact of you have the time. You just don't want to do it. You don't want to sit there and watch Netflix or The Mandalorian on Disney Plus (laughs) every week instead of working on your new business or new idea or learning a new skill. So everyone has the time. It's just a matter of opportunity cost. And so, and that could mean sleep. It could mean that you skip a meal a day or something like that. Like I know that's extreme, but when you want something, if you do know what you want and you want something, that's going to happen. I'm having this interview with you right after. I'm going to go straight back to editing the video that I was editing before this, and then I'm going to work on my website, and right. then I'm probably going to sleep, and now I'm going to wake up and do the same thing the next morning. And so I spend all my time doing it, and I know I'm extreme for it. That's okay. And understanding what you need to relax and take care of yourself too. So this goes back to something on my website, the Personal Poly Innovation System. And I created this actually over the past 10 years because when I first started United Living Construct, I created this what I call the four pillars philosophy where you have the four aspects of your life, the mind, body, spirit, and emotions. And each aspect, each are fundamental to your existence. You have your physical structure, the nutrition that we talked about earlier, exercise and understanding your health, the mental aspect of like, what are you learning? How are you stimulating your brain, getting new uh, synapses and connections in the brain? Your spirituality, which doesn't have to necessarily be religion. It could be the connection between the conscious mind and subconscious mind. And that's what a lot of the law of attraction and manifesting people talk about, actually. And then beyond that, the emotions. Do you understand your emotions? Do you understand other people's emotions and how they affect you and how they all interact with each other? That's my advice is understand those first and then you can understand what you need to do next because if you don't understand how you're feeling, if you don't understand why you don't have energy to get up in the morning, then something's wrong there. So you're preaching more of the 
holistic approach to the mm-hmm. world and to the worldview, which I, I which I is hard sometimes. Yeah, it, it is, and and I agree that I think more people need to look at those four pillars. I think that's a. Did you come up with that yourself, or is that something you well researched? Yeah, or? I came up with it myself, but it's because I spent a lot of time consuming philosophy growing up. One of my best learning experiences in high school, like you said, you're not you wasn't much of an academic, neither was I, but I was certainly a scholar, and so I spent like a few months just pillaging through the philosophy and world religion section of the library at my school. And so the four pillars often comes from the idea of logos and ethos from Greek, as well as the four aspects of yoga and some Buddhism traits as well. And so I, I approach it as a modern philosophy of what the old ancient ones talked about, but I came up with this modern aspect of it, but all ideas are a remix of old stuff. Right. Basically. Maybe, uh, Few original thoughts, but it, you know, rebranding them is for another lack of term. Um, or recontextualizing, really. I think that's the bigger thing is is putting things into context, especially in, yeah. in this day and age where things are, you know, sound bites and and deliberately miscontextualized. You know, allowing people the the time to reset and mm-hmm. reprioritize things. But I think that's another thing, and it's something you've kind of touched on a few times throughout our conversation is people need to understand that it's okay to stop reevaluate and change directions if something's not working for them. And that's something that I try and, you know, get through the kids that I coach in wrestling is, you know, try and move once, maybe try it again. If it's not working, reset, go a different direction. And -hmm. I think too many people kind of get stuck in, in one gear and they don't know how to reset and they're afraid to reset and I think if we can get more people like you who are pushing innovation and, and pushing the notion and saying, hey, you can recontextualize your life if you kind of hit the pause button for a second, mm-hmm. check off those four boxes when you fully understand where you are in each of those spaces, and then you can start developing your new path forward. Yeah. Just, and speaking of notion, too, what we've been talking about is a macro view. But there is the idea, some people are going to listen to this and be like, that's great, but how is it going to help me? Well, here's a little micro view for people who want a little bit more nitty gritty. There's a tool called Notion that I always preach about, Notion.so is the URL, where it combines documents and databases and Kanban boards all into one great system. Well, you can create your own life operating system in that tool and track your habits, track your projects, track your reading list or whatever kind of stuff you want to create, you can create in that tool. And there's people like August Bradley on YouTube who talk about creating this life operating system. I think if, if people use that to organize what they're doing, that's going to make a big difference as well. Yeah, I think showing people the resources out there, and I think maybe that might be one of the things that a lot of people get stuck on is not knowing where to look. Although mm-hmm. nowadays we have the internet <laughs> and you know you, you dig long enough or, or short enough sometimes and you'll find what you're looking for. Well, even going on Google takes a skill. Like, it's a researching skill. You have to know what you're looking for. Right. And when I learn something new, I go for swaths. I'll go through the images, the, the regular search, the news, and the videos, and I'll go through hundreds of tabs just to get the un- holistic view of what I'm learning. Got it. So that, it's interesting. Yeah. It, there, it's, you know, the rabbit hole, the proverbial rabbit hole can, that happens a lot. And, you know, I try and look up one thing and next thing I know I'm, I'm so far removed from that initial concept that I was looking up that I'm like, well, this is still fun and new. Well, what I'm trying to say is like a controlled rabbit hole, Got so it. to speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, definitely been about bad rabbit holes too. <laughs> I do think that, you know, you're right. It's, you have to know how to look or how to search for things. 
Um, so you, you know, have a, that safety harness so you don't fall down a wrong rabbit hole. Um, you know, we've uh, we chatted about a handful of things, and, and I appreciate your time and, and the ideas. Can you, I guess, elaborate where people can find you or your stuff? Yeah. Well, at the moment of this recording, I'm actually working on my new website. And so it's interesting because I'm moving everything on there, including a lot of posts that I used to have on other platforms. And so it's going to use the same URL, polyinnovator.space. But if you approach the old one, it might be breaking down in the next coming days. Uh, but yeah, polyinnovator.space. And one thing I often challenge people is to find any obscure platform, like blockchain ones as well, and look for polyinnovator. You'll find me on every one, basically. Maybe not super active, but you'll find me on every one. So we've, we've talked a lot about the what it is for you to be a poly innovator. Um, can you, I guess, more in-depthly describe what the poly innovation concept is? So poly innovator for me, is like an actual aspect of the personal brand, but the idea of a poly innovator is someone who's changing things in multiple facets. And I think that the first way to actually do that externally is to actually go back and fix yourself internally. And I say fix, more of like change yourself, evolve yourself over time. And so the beginning part of our conversation went really deep into the self-education aspect. And I created this term called self, self-edudevement, where I combine education, improvement, and development all into this one system. So the personal poly-innovation system, or PPS for short, is this idea of combining the foundation of learning and self-education, being an autodidact. We talked about like learning from books and courses and stuff like that, but you got to do something with it. Just taking stuff in doesn't really matter. You also have to have your habits and your systems, which come from the self-improvement aspect. How do you organize your day? What are you doing? What are your routines, your rituals, and how do you take care of your body and stuff like that? Speaking of body, that leads into the last aspect behind it, the self-development. What is your exponential factor of change, growth? So the mind, body, spirit, and emotions. When you take those in that perspective, you can build yourself up using the foundation of education, the consistency of your habits, and then the exponentiality of how the four pillars can improve your life. Got it. So it's kind of taking what you're bringing in and applying it. Mm-hmm. Um, how, and applying it through actual change and, and manifesting it in that change, you know, as we said before, you know, allowing yourself to change and, and course direct and, and course correct mm-hmm. to get yourself out of rut and, and move further. What, I guess, specific ways would you suggest people can, I guess, start that process, whether it be, you know, the, the mind pillar, the body pillar? You know, do you have a, a way that people should go about that? Is there an order in which to yeah. start? Well, and I will say that there's no output to that because all that was is the output and middle part. I still need to work on the output aspect. So content creation is usually an output. And so the beginning part, actually I said it in order where you, you would educate yourself, you would work on your habits and systems because if you don't do something with them, if you don't actually implement them on a daily basis and consistently work on the new skills that you learned or something like that, like if you learn how to exercise but you don't do it, what was the point of learning it per right. se? And then the actual four pillars is much more broad and much more of a self-reflection system, more so than an application, so to speak. The habits are what you're going to do to improve your mind or body or your spirituality. And so the actual order of like learning first, go learn from a book, go do something that can bring in new knowledge. And then the self-improvement is the aspect of how can you implement it in your daily life? I remember back in like 2015, I was sitting there on my computer. I was like, wow, I want to 
take these courses. I want to work on exercise and meditation and read a book. I want to do this every day, but how am I going to do that? And nowadays I'm still not fully doing that, but I'm doing it a lot more or exercise regularly. I'll look at a course, I'll go do stuff. And it's just a matter of getting those habits and turning them into systems in your life. Got it. I think. Yeah. I, I, I guess I misframed that. Uh, I was reco- wondering if there was a, an order in which to follow the pillars or is it kind of just a, a little bit of all together at once? Oh, so the pillars, the pillars being the last part of the PPS. Okay. So the pillars meaning everyone has their own preference. I've noticed. So like, for example, I started out with exercise. I mentioned earlier how my background's in that. And so I understood how the mind body spirit connection worked from the physical aspect. There's some people who are really fascinated with neuroscience or really fascinated with psychology. So you learn how the brain and mind pillar works. And then there's other people who are like the strong men and the not strong men, but like those meatheads you would see at the gym <laughs> and like how they're like really bulky and really strong, but they didn't really work on their mind pillar very much. And so they didn't have much intelligence to them. Right. It's often the stereotype, so to speak. Ironically, Arnold, um, who who's like been a very prolific strong man, he actually is very intelligent and he would actually control his muscles to such a degree that he actually had to use his mind pillar to actually do the exercise, which is interesting. And so I think it's a matter of framing it. What are you good at first? Building that up and not overly focusing on just one. Because if you focus on just one, the other pillars might be neglected. But you have to start from somewhere. So focus on one and by proxy, the other pillars will go up with them too. Got it. I like that idea. I mean, and I do see how each one feeds off the other. So you kind of want to kind of work on them as a balance and build them up through balance. Um. And the negative aspect happens too. I see it more like an hourglass too. So there's going to be a certain point where if you if you get really sick or something like that, which is a big concept lately, it's going to dramatically negatively impact your other pillars as well. Your health pillar or mind, or your, sorry, your body pillar, which affects your health, is getting negatively impacted by an external source. You can't control that per se. Well, then your spirituality, your emotions are going to be kind of distraught. Your mind not be, might not be as clear. You might get some brain fog from your physical ailments. And so understanding that the negative aspect can happen too and trying to prevent that or climb back out of it, back up to the positive. Got it. Yeah, the, the concept of controlling what you can control and, and figure out how to adapt elsewhere, uh, otherwise is, is a big thing that I use you know, coaching wrestling, it's, it's, you know, yeah, for me, exactly teaching the kids to be uncomfortable in the comfortable or sorry, comfortable in the uncomfortable to, to only focus on what they control. You know, don't worry about what the person looks like that walks on the mat f- from the other side, you know, go out with your game plan, try to initiate it. And, and, you know, also teach them that, you know, you can go out there and execute a flawless game plan and still not have your hand raised. So you know, that, yeah. that's just part of life. So. Well, and my swim lessons are the same way, where a lot of the aspects behind swimming are about movement. It's not about breathing. It's not about really getting from point A to point B. It's about how you move to get to point A to point B. And a lot of people focus too much on breathing. They're like, oh, I need to breathe. I need to breathe. Well, that's a panic notion. That's the that's a body realizing that it doesn't have as much oxygen or, more importantly, needs to get rid of the CO2. Right. And so people often panic, and they forget to swim. But that's the whole point is swimming. Yeah, the body has certain things that people overthink. Um, breathing is one of them. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, on the same token, if you can learn to control your breathing, you can definitely help your mind, body, and, and spirit as well. And the mindfulness yeah, and the meditation definitely. and things like that. So, um, yeah, I, I like the ideas of those platforms and the pillars. And I think I might have to do a little soul searching myself to, to go from yeah. that route. So, Great. I'm glad to help. 
Thanks for listening to another episode of Adding Context. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at addingcontext.com. You can also support our show via Patreon. Send us feedback and show ideas to podcast at addingcontext.com.